G'day, Giselle Hanna here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues from a union perspective. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Later on in the program, we're going to hear from Eleanor Lopez of the Communications Workers of America, the CWA, on cross-border worker solidarity in the face of job offshoring. Eleanor spoke at a public meeting organised by the Trade Justice Education Fund about the realities of how corporate-driven trade agreements hurt working people everywhere and the importance of promoting fair trade policy alternatives that are rooted in cross-border workers' solidarity rather than hate. But first, some union news. The DP World dispute continues to intensify. The MUA and DP World met again on Monday the 15th of January, but neither party has commented on the negotiations publicly. The MUA retreated on some proposed industrial action, but continues with stoppages, two-hour pauses on work and staff refusing overtime. Sally McManus weighed in on the dispute for the first time, urging Australians to stick together. There have been calls for government intervention and it appears that Tony Burke may meet with both the MUA and DP World soon. Just to remind listeners about what this dispute is about, while raking in record profits and gouging Australian businesses through massive price hikes, Dubai-owned port operator DP World is attempting to break Australian workers with demands for wage cuts and roster changes that will have a detrimental impact on both productivity and safety. DP World's Australian container terminals have reported a staggering $830 million revenue, with profits quadrupling over the last three years, according to the latest Australian Competition and Consumer Commission report. Despite this financial success, DP World has demonstrated a callous disregard for dockers from the MUA. The MUA sought to commence negotiations way back in March 2023 before the agreement expired on the 30th of September of that year, but they were ignored. They did this before commencing lawful, protected industrial action in October of 2023. Following the commencement of industrial action, the response from DP World Australia's management have routinely cancelled scheduled meetings and refused to come back to the bargaining table. DP World Australia is demanding immediate wage cuts of up to 14% linked to roster changes. They're demanding forced weekend work up to 65 shifts per year, destroying work-life balance. Cuts to annual leave and long service leave, violating national employment standards and an erosion of hard-earned workplace conditions negotiated over decades in exchange for productivity gains. The RTBU is forging ahead with more industrial action. 
Operations staff, including conductors, train controllers, stations and customer service staff and authorised officers from V-Line will walk off the job for four hours between 3am and 7am, bringing the network to a halt. At this stage, only non-driving grades will participate in the action. The entire V-Line network across the state of Victoria will be affected as workers take action to advance claims for their enterprise agreement. RTBU Victoria Branch Secretary Vic Sharma said although bargaining since June last year, V-Line has yet to address key concerns that have been raised throughout the negotiations to date. Sharma said in the current climate of automation, major changes and an uncertain economy, members were fighting for what all workers across Victoria deserve, job security and decent conditions. Workers at electricity transmission and distribution company Transgrid began industrial action on the 5th of January as Electrical Trade Union New South Wales members push for a 17% pay rise over the next three years. The members' efforts included a one-hour stoppage and six indefinite work bans of control room personnel, essential workers at the company's core. The ETU released a statement claiming that 83% of Transgrid workers rejected the Transgrid's proposed enterprise bargaining agreement. ETU New South Wales and ACT Secretary Alan Hicks said the company is hopelessly out of touch with its workers who are simply seeking a pay rise that helps them keep up with the soaring cost of living. The statement released by ETU also assures that the union has made binding safety commitments which ensure that industrial action will never endanger the public or workers. The industrial action will have an ongoing impact on planned maintenance work and power disruptions. This strike disrupts development on Transgrid's $2.3 billion renewables project, Energy Connect, which is a 900-kilometre transmission line that will connect power systems in South Australia and New South Wales, putting additional renewable energy into the national energy market. SafeWork New South Wales is now investigating the project following recent allegations of major safety breaches, including claims that workers do not have access to restrooms, are using unsafe harnesses and are at risk of being injured by falling debris. Negotiations between the company and the union continue. The Hobart Clinic is the last private mental health clinic in southern Tasmania. Nurses at the Hobart Clinic have specialised skills and many of them have worked at the clinic and served their community for decades. However, in their agreement offer, management have failed to recognise this dedication, offering a paltry pay rise to some of their most experienced workers, which had been voted down overwhelmingly by the nursing staff just before Christmas. The Hobart Clinic's management are crying poor, but the real truth is that they've splurged over $10,000 on legal measures against their own nurses, obstructing small-scale industrial action such as wearing badges and distributing flyers to the community. While patients pay a hefty premium to be treated at the clinic, management are paying lawyers money that could be used to attract the staff they need to keep the vital service going.
The Hobart Clinic is the last remaining facility of its kind in southern Tasmania and that state can't afford to lose the service with workers' conditions going backwards. Haksu, the union representing nursing staff at the clinic, is imploring former patients and community members to sign a petition to the CEO of the Hobart Clinic, telling her that mental health nurses deserve better. The TWU was back at the Fair Work Commission in relation to the cleanaway dispute on Friday the 12th of January. Deputy President Wright made an intractable bargaining declaration and the parties will enter into a post-declaration negotiation period from the 12th of January to the 25th of January. Deputy President Wright believes that there is scope for the Commission to assist the parties, particularly Cleanaway, to reassess their position in relation to agreed terms. And just to remind listeners about what this dispute is about, the TWU launched a national campaign to lift standards in the waste collection industry way back in May 2023, and they organised a bunch of walk-offs in Sydney and Victoria across multiple sites. Waste workers have faced persistent attacks to paying conditions by cleanaway management across the country. Last year, there were a bunch of strikes in New South Wales, Queensland, Western Australia and the ACT as workers faced attempts by Cleanaway to strip back overtime entitlements and extend rosters, forcing workers to work weekends for less take-home pay. The New South Wales Safety Regulator is investigating a workplace death at Cleanaway Badgeries Creek, in which a worker was found wedged between machinery in February 2023. Another driver was killed in 2022 when his cleanaway truck rolled on the Stewart Highway. Six people have died in crashes involving cleanaway trucks in Australia since 2011. Cleanaway recently announced a $49 million half-year profit after tax. And marine pilots employed by TAS ports have cast their ballots in favour of industrial action amid ongoing negotiations with the corporation over an enterprise agreement. The Australian Maritime Officers Union, the representative body for the pilots, won a protected action ballot which was approved by the Fair Work Commission on the 19th of December. The voting process ended on the 12th of January, culminating in a decisive outcome. 14 of the 15 eligible pilots backed various work stoppages and bans. The range of proposed industrial action is extensive, spanning from one hour to 24 hour work stoppages on any given day, as well as on weekends and public holidays. Furthermore, the pilots endorsed unlimited work bans and consecutive periods of industrial action. The dispute is about the pilots' demand for competitive pilotage rates and remuneration. The pilots, who play a critical role in ensuring the smooth functioning of the ports, believe their paying conditions should reflect the vital nature of their work. And the Victorian Ambulance Union has warned the government that they will take industrial action if an agreement cannot be reached in the next two weeks. The Victorian Ambulance Union on the 16th of January confirmed that 86.8% of its members had voted down Ambulance Victoria's latest enterprise bargaining agreement offer. 
The offer, presented to paramedics in late December, included a 3% pay rise and a $1,800 lump sum payment at the end of each year of the agreement. But Ambulance Victoria also sought a reduction in paramedic sick leave and overtime entitlements, as well as reduced travel allowances. The union has instead put forward claims around improving end-of-shift management provisions so paramedics can finish on time. And moving overseas now, power loom workers in Sirsila near Hyderabad in India who weave polyester clothes ended a two-day strike on the 17th of January. The strike, which began on the 15th of January, was called off by the workers after being given assurances that their products would be purchased by the government. The local weavers face soul-destroying poverty. Alok Kumar, a migrant worker from Uttar Pradesh, committed suicide during the strike, allegedly because of overwhelming debts. And in the Philippines, on the 16th of January, thousands of jeepney drivers took strike action and held protests across the Philippines to oppose the Marcos government's public utility vehicle modernisation plan. The walkout follows a 12-day strike late last month. Jeepney vehicles date back to the 1940s and were made up from surplus US Army jeeps left behind after World War II. These have become the cheapest form of transport for millions of people, particularly for the poorest sections of the country's 110 million population. Drivers charge as little as 13 pesos per ride. The Public Utility Vehicle Modernisation Plan orders that drivers join cooperatives of at least 15 vehicles by the 31st of January. These cooperatives will be given a government subsidy of 200,000 to 300,000 pesos per new vehicle and can access banking finance. The modern, more fuel-efficient and cleaner vehicles that the government is forcing the drivers to buy cost at least 2 million pesos. The largest protest on Tuesday the 16th of January was in Manila, where drivers told the media that the modernisation plan forces them into unbearable debt. One protesting driver explained that he was not against modernisation, but that the government has made a program without consulting the drivers. Another said he would have to earn 7,000 pesos per day to pay his contributions to the cooperative, but his daily earnings were only 600 to 700 pesos per day. The National Union of People's Lawyers estimate that the modernisation plan could see the revocation of franchises for nearly 64,000 jeepneys nationally. You're listening to Stick Together, recorded for 3CR Community Radio, coming to your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues.
Our feature story for today is Eleanor Lopez of the Communications Workers of America, speaking on the topic of cross-border worker solidarity in the face of job offshoring. Organised by the Trade Justice Education Fund about the realities of how corporate-driven trade agreements hurt working people everywhere and the importance of promoting fair trade policy alternatives that are rooted in cross-border worker solidarity rather than hate. Hi everyone, my name is Elena Lopez and I'm a Senior Legislative Specialist here at the Communication Workers of America, CWA. Thank you everyone for tuning into this Trade Justice Power Hour, the best kind of power hour, to really learn about the importance of promoting fair trade policy alternatives. CWA understands the importance of promoting cross-border solidarity and ensuring that all of us across the globe are uniting as one against the corporate powers that attempt to divide us. For those who aren't familiar with our union, CWA represents workers in the telecommunication industries, manufacturing, tech, and so many more industries. And over the years, our union has seen call centers and factories, tech, video game development, and other jobs across all our industries shift operation overseas, downsize, or shut down their US operations altogether. And as a result, These local communities and entire regions are devastated when these jobs are offshored. In many cases, this happens because companies know that they can move jobs overseas and profit off the exploitation of workers in countries where the struggle to organize can be a matter of life and death. At CWA, we've heard stories from our friends and allies in the Philippines about the persecution, the attacks, the red tagging, which is being falsely accused of being a communist or a terrorist, or both in some cases of labor activists and human rights defenders. Our union and the broader US labor movement knows that we cannot fight for our own dignity and rights here without helping our brothers and sisters and siblings abroad, that our fight for better wages and working conditions are directly related and connected to whether workers across the globe can organize. So CWA has had a long-standing relationship with workers in the Philippines, and we have worked together over a number of years on many issues. It really started in 2016 when our union was on strike at Verizon Communications. During that strike, many of the customer service calls were routed from outsourced call centers um, here in the U.S. to the Philippines. And when the Filipino workers learned about our strike, the BPO Industry Employees Network BN reached out to CWA to let us know that call center workers there in the Philippines didn't want to be scabbed, and they wanted to know how they could help us in our fight with Verizon management. Striking CWA members then traveled to the Philippines to meet with workers there and stage solidarity actions at call centers that were handling the calls being routed from struck U.S. call centers. Given, you know, the persecution of labor activists in the country, it was truly a brave act of solidarity of those workers and really resulted in a growing partnership between our groups that continue to this day. And since that initial demonstration of international solidarity from our brothers and sisters in the Philippines, we have focused on deepening those bonds of global solidarity. 
In 2019, another group of CWA workers and local leaders traveled to the Philippines to meet with Filipino call center workers and union leaders. They heard firsthand accounts of how Filipino workers who participated in any union activity were subjected to physical threats and severe intimidation. They met with Ann Kruger, a union organizer, who showed our members around Manila and hosted a group of them in her home during their stay. Shortly after their visit, Anne's union office and a number of union offices across the country were raided by the police and she was arrested under false charges, all because of her union activity. They also met with Sarah, who shared how her and her partner were heavily involved in their organizing campaign and the fight for better wages at their company. Sadly, they weren't able to meet her partner because he was arrested and in jail at the time due to his union activity. To this day, our members still talk about how impactful and eye-opening the trip was and how they continue to share the stories from the Filipino call center workers of those stories to the members of their union. And we have been horrified to continue to learn about the harmful conditions that workers wanting to organize in the Philippines face. In fact, the Philippines has been named by the International Trade Union Confederation for four years in a row one of the world's worst countries for working people because trade unionists are killed, subjected to violence, arrested, and consistently red-tagged. Two years ago, we saw the armed forces of the Philippines and the Philippines National Police perform a series of raids that led to the murder of nine labor and human rights defenders and the arrest of six others. This reality became even more direct for CWA when Alex Dolorosa, an organizer funded through support from CWA was brutally murdered last year for his union activities. Alex was a union organizer and paralegal with BN, as well as a social justice and LGBTQ plus rights activist. For us, Alex was a bigger part of our CWA family and his death has shaken us all. And the sad truth is, is that Alex's murder is not unique. His tragic and senseless murder follows years of him being surveilled and red-tagged by the government of the Philippines. At one point, he was harassed while entering the BN offices, and he felt so threatened that he had to flee. Alex lived with this persecution for standing up for his rights. And even in this death, the red-tagging did not stop. Shortly after his murder, the red-tagging of him and BN took off on social media. It was truly horrifying and his brutal murder happened in the context of these larger attacks on workers' rights fighting for change. These sorts of targeting, this sorts of targeting leaves a chilling effect on labor activists and their work, which puts downward pressure on wages and working conditions in the U.S. too. Companies can and do exploit the low wages, substandard working conditions, and lack of respect for collective bargaining rights in other countries. U.S. companies often treat sourcing like a game of whack-a-mole, right? Jumping from country to country when strengthen and enforce labor laws drive workers' pay closer to a living wage. We have seen giant telecom companies prey on the Filipino workforce. These workers are getting paid less than $2 an hour and don't have basic rights to organize. A corporation sees those factors and knows that they can profit off the exploitation, and then they move our well-paid union jobs with benefits overseas. 
And that is why global labor solidarity is so important because our struggles for better working conditions, better wages, and better unions are all connected. And you'll find that when you talk to union members and American workers, they get it. It resonates with them. They all understand that we have a goal, the common goal of fighting against corporate greed and putting power back into the hands of workers. And it's important that we as American workers get involved because we face many of the same struggles that workers abroad face. So when we talk about trade or negotiate trade deals, workers must have a seat at the table to determine their conditions of labor. Our trade policies should recognize the crucial role that workers play around the world to achieve social and economic equity. Doing so will lift labor standards domestically and internationally, and importantly, we'll do so by giving workers that crucial seat at the table. As the cliche saying goes, right, a rising tide lifts all boats. We cannot let multinational corporations and greed divide us. Workers across the globe are in this together. And when we stand together and fight through the struggle together, we all win. By centering our policies of workers globally, we can strengthen economic security at home by combating the race to the bottom, where companies move our good paying union jobs overseas so that they can exploit international workers who are threatened, intimidated, abused, and killed for organizing. Workers in the Philippines and across the globe must be free to exercise their right to form and join unions without fear of death or retaliation by their own government. CWA and the U.S. labor movement will continue to stand behind these workers and ensure that domestic and international worker rights are front and center when we talk about trade or make a trade deal. And we will make sure to let our members know and understand the benefits of what cross-border solidarity can do for them and workers globally. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. That was Eleanor Lopez of the Communication Workers of America speaking on the topic of cross-border worker solidarity in the face of job offshoring. And that's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or iTunes, and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Giselle Hanna, and remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.
mosses we must pay for From the cities and the farmlands to trenches full of mud War has always been the bosses way, sir Brothers and our sisters, many far off lands, there is power.